Hello and welcome to the AMA Update video and podcast series. Today we're coming to you from the floor of the annual meeting of the AMA House of Delegates in Chicago. Uh, We're just one day away before everything gets started. The policy here this week has the potential to shape healthcare and of course AMA advocacy effort for years. Here to discuss that and to share an update on our top advocacy priorities is Todd Askew, the AMA's Senior Vice President of Advocacy. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer. Welcome, Todd. Hey, good to see you, Todd. The AMA annual meeting is, of course, our biggest event of the year. A lot of discussion, a lot of policy uh, passed here. Talk to us a little bit about what happens once policy is passed. So, I mean, the great benefit of the, of the House of Delegates is that it informs our advocacy efforts uh, with the experiences and the knowledge of uh, basically every medical specialty and every state medical association. Um, comes together here, uh, adopts policy, uh, and then hands it off to, in many cases, to our advocacy efforts. We analyze it. We see what's, you know, what we can do now, what needs to be put on a longer-term agenda, and then we, and then we get to work. Um, Uh, You're absolutely right. Some things are as simple as, oh, we need to support this bill or we need to write a letter to the government that says this. And and we take and we take that and we do that pretty quickly. Other efforts are more strategic, uh, more um, setting the direction for our efforts, like you said, uh, for years. Um, So uh, it is kind of the basis, the foundation of a lot of the uh, work that we do uh, in advocacy. Now, you're working on advocacy all year long and you're talking to a lot of physicians along the way. I'm curious. What are you hearing are the top priorities of the physicians, students that are coming in to the House of Delegates this year? Well, I think what we continue to hear about are those things that are reflected uh, in the AMA's recovery recovery plan. Uh, Frustrations with Medicare payment, with administrative burdens, uh, with scope of practice challenges, uh, uh, making sure that we still have access to to telehealth, uh, you know, to benefit patients. Uh, and importantly, something that kind of ties them all together. And really, the number one thing that people want us to be working on is physician wellness. And physician wellness, of course, it's not just about resilience. Uh, it's about addressing those things that make practice uh, harder, that make it more difficult for uh, physicians to, to meet the needs of their patients. Uh, and so that's kind of a unifying theme. Uh, but those are the, kind of the top things uh, that we hear about here at the House uh, in day-to-day conversations with physicians around the country. And that's where we put most of our effort. Now, uh, we talked a year ago, uh, basically about the recovery plan for America's physicians. That's really where we could launch that campaign that you were referring to now. Let's talk a little bit more uh, in more detail about some of the accomplishments since then. Uh, let's start uh, with the payment front. Sure. Uh, what, what kind of progress do you want to share? So uh, Medicare payments, uh, clearly for physicians, are unsustainable. Uh, MedPAC has basically said that. The Medicare trustees have said that. Uh, there's a growing awareness on Capitol Hill among policymakers uh, that the current course uh, for Medicare physician payments is not something that could be sustained over the long run. So the challenge has been uh, to put together a plan, to put together a process uh, that we can begin to move the needle. It's going to be very expensive. It's going to be a, a multi uh, at least over a year, probably much more than more than a year effort uh, to to make progress. Uh, but things are really coming together. Uh, the foundational part of it is uh, inflationary based updates. Most other Medicare providers have inflation built into their annual payment updates. Physicians do not. Uh, there's a lot of reasons why that's the case. Uh, but but the fact is, uh, without something to at least keep pace with inflation, uh, payments fall further and further behind. 
and it becomes more and more difficult to sustain a practice and be able to continue to see Medicare beneficiaries. So we're really excited that we do have legislation introduced now uh, to uh, increase to basically input a uh, MEI, the Medicare uh, Medical Economic Index, it's the inflationary measure for healthcare, uh, into the physician payment formula. Um, we are building a bipartisan uh, a group of co-sponsors uh, to, to make the statement, to put that bill out there. It's not going to pass the next month. It's not going to pass this summer. Uh, but it is important that people be able to put their name on that. Two other key pieces of the Medicare agenda, kind of a three-legged stool for reforming payments. The second one is dealing with budget neutrality. Uh, right now, you increase part of Medicare spending for physicians in one area, you have to cut everything else in order to pay for it. Uh, every system has that, but in the way it's applied to physicians has really got some problems. And there have been some miscalculations in the past by, uh, by the government on, on how much uh, to make those adjustments that have really negatively impacted physician payments. So we need to reform the way budget neutrality is applied uh, to physician payments. And lastly, reforming this terribly burdensome and complex um, MIPS program, the quality reporting program in Medicare. Uh, make that simpler, more streamlined, more relevant uh, for physicians in practice uh, so that it is not such a burden uh, on them to participate. So those three pieces, uh, we're well underway uh, and we're excited that we are in the process of, of educating folks on Capitol Hill, uh, building up the grassroots support, uh, working on message development and testing and really getting excited about kicking off a significant effort to push those pieces of legislation. See, that really is a uh, unified voice in action on that particular front. Another place where we've really gotten a lot of traction in making the issue much more visible and personal is on the, in the world of prior art. Right. Medicine doesn't stand still, and at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. Uh, just a, you know, a huge obstacle for physicians and for patients. Talk to us about the progress there. So we've been talking for years about prior authorization, the impact it has not only on patients being able to access the benefits that they've already paid for, uh, but also for physicians and the day-to-day -day burden it places on them and their staff uh, to seek out. Physicians are doing something on an average of like 40 prior authorizations a week per physician and it takes a lot of staff time, a lot of effort, delayed care, in a lot of cases, uh, the course of treatment that has been prescribed or, or, or requested is just abandoned when they can't get, when the patient and the physician can't get approval. Uh, it is a huge time suck. So uh, in an effort to, to, uh, to, to address that burden, uh, we've approached it in many, many ways. Uh, we've obviously advocated directly with payers uh, when they impose specific, uh, really burdensome uh, programs. Uh, that don't make a lot of sense. Uh, we advocate with Congress. Uh, we almost got legislation passed last year to really uh, right-size prior authorization as part of Medicare Advantage, uh, and obviously with the administration. We've had several rules come out. One's been finalized now that has made some significant improvements. Uh, beginning, it will go into effect, I think, next year uh, in Medicare Advantage prior authorization requirements. Another rule is about to come out that will have broader application uh, to make sure that, uh, for example, um, once you get prior authorization, that it sticks, that they don't have retroactive denials or 
uh, or I mean, there's, there's a lot of very good improvements coming through. Um, and policymakers have really started to pay attention in the last year, I would say. Um, the media has really started to pay much more attention as some of these horror stories go out and, and, and get a lot of attention. So uh, all that is kind of coming together. And really, I think we're on the precipice of really improving uh, the environment uh, for in prior authorization. We're not going to get rid of prior authorization. Nobody's saying we should uh, get rid of it entirely. But it needs to be right-sized. It needs to be simplified. It needs to be less friction uh, between uh, the patient and accessing their benefits. And I think we're on a really good track uh, to make some significant improvements uh, in government programs as well as in the private sector. Now, Todd, uh, another key element of the recovery plan is about scope of practice mm -hmm. expansion. We've got a lot of efforts across uh, many states right now on that topic. Of course, it was complicated by the pandemic. Now right. we're out of that you know, emergency part of the, of the phase here. What's happening now on that front and what, what is the AMA doing? So you're right, during the pandemic, a lot of the uh, scope laws were kind of um, set aside a little bit uh, to expand the uh, access apparently to, uh, to non-physician providers. It's not clear really how much impact or how much independent practice uh, non-physician providers uh, uh, did during, during that period. But of course, now that these laws are coming back into effect, uh, there's been some uh, increased, and there's always a lot of tension, but some increased pressure uh, to expand scope and lessen some of the, you know, collaboration or supervision requirements that are uh, in, most, in most state laws. Um, we know from research and from asking patients, patients want physicians involved in their care, um, which is why we talk about team-based care. It's about everybody on the team uh, uh, practicing uh, within their scope uh, and, and participating uh, in care uh, for, for patients with a physician at the head of that team uh, because of their uh, uh, training and experience. Um, uh, that's absolutely a critical part of it. We know from research that's been done uh, in the VA and in Hattiesburg uh, that the care provided by physicians frequently uh, is higher quality and also results in less cost because um, they're doing the right care at the right time. That is in no way to say or to denigrate the role of every healthcare professional uh, in the care of patients. But we believe uh, for quality's sake, for safety's sake, that it is absolutely critical that physicians uh, be involved in, in the care of, of patients. And, and so what we do is we try and protect and preserve that role for physicians uh, in the healthcare system uh, for, for patients. Uh, and that happens mostly in the state legislatures. Um, it's where a lot of these uh, bills uh, come up, but also we are increasingly seeing efforts uh, in the federal sphere uh, to uh, expand the scope of practice of non-physician uh, providers when it comes to, to Medicare or other federal programs. So uh, it's, an, it's an ongoing issue, but it's a very important one. It's one that physicians uh, and patients tell us is important. Todd, one thing I really love about the House of Delegates is seeing so many physicians, uh, our residents, our students, we all come together from so, so many different states and specialties uh, in what acts like a democracy here uh, in the House. How is this unique as a, as a body and able to kind of push past a lot of the gridlock that maybe we see at different uh, federal and state levels? 
I think, first of all, it's a bit, it's a bit inspiring, not to sound too cheesy, but these folks have come away from their practices, uh, have come away from their families, volunteering their time uh, uh, to discuss all these really important issues to the profession that they've chosen. And to see that sort of commitment, not only that they show to their patients uh, in their day-to-day -day practice, but to their profession uh, right here in the House of Delegates is, is really inspiring. One of the great benefits of this is once the House debates and comes to consensus on an issue, we can go to policymakers on Capitol Hill and we can say it's not AMA's opinion, right? It is the profession's opinion. It is the profession's policy. Uh, and, 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 and you're not going to just have one organization pushing it, but you have uh, dozens. You have well over 100 organizations uh, that, are, that are in support of what, of what uh, we are doing. Uh, we come together with the specialties in Washington, with the states in Washington, uh, and in the state le in the state capitals as well, uh, to talk about these issues. And there's something really uh, unique about having this body uh, here to build consensus and to identify consensus on some of these really difficult issues. And so I, I think it's unique in that when we speak, uh, we're speaking for literally for the entire profession, not just for the few hundred people that gather here in this room. So, so it's a great, it's a great um, asset uh, for, for medicine, I think. It is truly the house of medicine. It Todd, is. thank you for all the work you do this year. Huge thanks to the entire advocacy team uh, for helping turn that policy into action. Uh, that's it for today's episode. You can always find the latest news about the AMA's recovery plan for America's physicians at ama-assn.org recovery. We'll be back soon with another AMA update. In the meantime, find all our videos and podcasts at ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Thanks for joining us today. Please take care. <laughs>